0: You know, last, uh, last month, I began a teaching series with our young adults on leadership, and I explained to them how that we are all leaders, whether we view ourselves as a leader or not. Because leadership is all about influence, and we as Christians do influence our culture by the way that we live out our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I believe that God expects his followers to be leaders throughout society, at school, in the workplace, with our families, and especially here at the church. And so in this teaching that I am presenting to the young adults, we're looking at leadership being displayed in the life of of Nehemiah, specifically his leadership as he led rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. But there are others to be found in the Bible as well, Uh, like Zerubbabel, that's quite a name, try saying that about three times fast, who also showed great leadership in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And I'm gonna talk a little bit more about Zerubbabel at the end of my message. But in both examples here, God honored and blessed them for their faithfulness as a leader. And I, I bring all this up Because leadership is essential in any endeavor, especially in ministry. And when I say leadership in ministry, I'm not just referring to myself or the other pastors that are on staff at this church. I'm referring to all of us, since as I made clear last week in our message on Pentecost, we are all ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I fervently believe that that God wants you and I to be leaders in literally every facet of our life because he desires that we display faithful leadership to a world that knows very little about it. Every man, every woman of God must prove ourselves to be faithful. It's an essential quality that God wants to see displayed in your and my life. And furthermore, he wants us to do it in such a way that it exhibits the attributes of his son, Jesus. And so this morning, I wanna speak to you on what I believe to be the most important aspect of Christian leadership, and that is faithfulness. Because God honors faithfulness. And as we talk about faithfulness, it is no surprise that the Bible has a whole lot to say about it. One scripture in particular is Proverbs twenty-eight twenty. It should be up on the screen behind me. A faithful man will abound with blessings. Now, I don't know about you, but I desire to have God's blessings in my life. But in order for me to receive those blessings, I must be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So, like I said, we must prove our faithfulness and, and because because the reason is in our world it is rare to find genuinely faithful people. It just is, in case you haven't noticed. People who can be counted on, people who are consistent, people who are dependable and reliable. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, most men will, will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Sadly, there is very little commitment in our society today. We live in a generation that doesn't really want to commit to anything. People don't want to be committed to their job. They don't want to be committed to their church. They don't want to be committed to their marriage. We live with disposable relationships. And make no mistake about it, a lack of faithfulness is at its very core. Psalms 12.1 says, help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. That's the New International Version of Psalm 12.1. Well, I wanna assure the psalmist this morning that you can find faithful Christian leaders right here among the men and women of High Point, amen? Amen. And you probably noticed that I have used the term faithful leaders several times already. And I don't want any of you to check out on me this morning, thinking that this message isn't about you, because maybe you don't consider yourself a leader. So let me make clear once again to everyone in this room, you are a leader. Whether you think you are one or not, you are a leader, because leadership is influence. And as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we influence both people and situations by our presence, by the way that we view life, and more importantly, by the way that we live our lives. Our lives are guided by the Holy Spirit of the living God, and we are cut from a different cloth. And because we live by the truth that is found in the Word of God, we do have influence. And so, to go full circle, since leadership is influence, you are all leaders. Say, I'm a leader. I'm a leader. All right, thank you. So, so, those who follow Jesus, those who use their influence to, to raise their families, their children to serve the Lord, those who live their daily Christian walk, out loud for all to see and through their lifestyle uh, affect others in a positive way and direct them towards Jesus Christ and those who serve faithfully in the church, who fulfill any task pertaining to the ministry of the church, simply put, they must be reliable, they must be consistent, they must be trustworthy and they must be dependable. So this morning, I wanna look at five characteristics of faithful Christian leadership. These are all trademarks of the kind of Christian that you can count on and the kind of Christian that you want to be. In fact, we should all judge ourselves in light of these characteristics, and I think it's very important for all of us to rightfully ask, am I fulfilling my role effectively? So the first characteristic of a faithful Christian leader is they look out for others. Jesus summed up the entirety of the scriptures when he responded to this question. What is the greatest commandment? And he said in Mark 12, 30 and 31, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, we will be judged on this issue of faithfulness as it relates to our relationship with other people. In other words, do we care about others and not just ourselves? A great example of this is Timothy and what the Apostle Paul had to say about him in Philippians 2, verses 20 and 22. He says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. How would you like that recommendation on your resume? What's the key? The key is that he takes a genuine genuine interest in your welfare, the Apostle Paul writes. Most people in our day only look out for their own interests. So understand that in Christ Jesus, our faithfulness, it swims against the current of contemporary culture, which always asks, what's in it for me? It's all about my needs, my ambitions, My desire, my growth, my notoriety, my benefit, and my profit. It's very selfish and it's a very self-centered mindset that continually asks, what's in it for me? God says, faithfulness is proven by giving your life away, by, by looking at others rather than concentrating on yourself and your needs all the time. So how is that translated? into the way that we live? Well, within the home and in the family environment, a faithful Christian leader does not rule by demanding things always go their way. When two people come together in marriage, their needs and interests can clash. Anybody who who is married understands that, and this can create problems, that clashing. But when it all boils down to it, that clashing and the problems that come from it are generally a byproduct of your own personal selfishness. We've been so used to looking out for ourselves that we sometimes forget about the feelings of even our spouse. But the Bible teaches that faithfulness is a fruit of the spirit, but it's also a choice that we make. And so therefore, I can choose to change my attitude. And so, I can can do so when I take the focus off of what's best for me, and instead my mindset could be what is best for my family, what is best for my kids, what is best for my wife. Now, within the business world, a faithful Christian leader is concerned not just for his supervisors— which you try to impress because you wanna, you wanna get the attaboy and you wanna get the promotion and you wanna get the, get the raise, but you also wanna be concerned for your subordinates. What I mean is on your way up the success ladder, don't ever use people as rungs on your ladder. In other words, don't step on people to get where it is that, that you wanna go. Instead, through your faithful leadership, develop people who literally push you to the top. Instead through your, your or in other words, uh, don't use people to get what you want. You, you, you encourage them along the way and in your encouragement and your leadership, they get behind you and they will push you to where you wanna go. You don't get results through intimidation but getting everybody on board with you and people will work harder they will work more diligently. They will more, work more faithfully when they buy into your vision and you can accomplish your vision with their assistance together. Now within ministry, a faithful leader is sincerely concerned about those that works alongside of them while you do the work of the Lord. They lead by example. They never ask people to do something that they themselves are not willing to do. They are true to their word. They are honest in their evaluations and they never promise what they cannot deliver. A faithful leader makes every effort to pour into the life of those that they lead, making sure that their spiritual road or journey is on track. They also help to develop other leaders and their skills in order for their future path of ministry. In other words, a leader is dedicated to those who help them to achieve. It's not just all about the leader. In fact, as a faithful leader, you should really be a servant to those who you lead, just like you are to those who, who, who answer to you. And in doing so, you will lead in a way that will bring about the success that you desire and that you've been praying for. Well, here's the second characteristic of a a faithful Christian leader. They stay focused on the main thing. One of the greatest tests of faithful leadership is the tendency to find yourself all over the map and losing sight of the main thing, the, the main objective. It's an easy trap for anyone to get caught into. And we see this in the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus came to visit their home. Mary, she just wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. She just wanted to soak in everything that she could soak in at that moment. While Martha was so caught up in being the perfect hostess that she completely lost her focus. In Luke 10 40, it tells us, but Martha was distracted with much serving. We too can get distracted if we're not careful and our eyes can easily move towards things that are not the main thing at all. I had a friend who owned a very successful barber shop. It was built upon his own talents. He had a very deep and loyal customer base. He was highly successful at what he did and made a very handsome income, I might add. One day he got this idea that he wanted to open a restaurant. He'd never owned a restaurant in his life. He just thought it was a cool thing to do. So he found a location and he, and he hired a chef and, and he opened up this new eating establishment. And he got so engrossed in keeping that place from going under that he lost his focus. The very thing that granted him the ability to even pursue and have the resources to try to pursue that restaurant started to slip. There was no more attention to detail. The commitment to his customers suffered and and it seemed that his mind was always somewhere else other than what he did best. And soon, in a short amount of time, he had two struggling businesses. And to this day, his barber shop is just a shadow of what it once was, and I don't know for sure, but I don't even think the restaurant exists anymore. So he lost focus of the main thing, the very thing that God had gifted him to do. And as Christians, we must be careful in whatever we're doing, not to lose sight of our calling, not to lose sight of our purpose That's when you're being unfaithful to what God has called you to do and what he has gifted you to be. It's also a huge uh, issue when it comes to leadership in your own family. If you're married, you made a vow of faithfulness. But the truth is there are many ways that you can be unfaithful to your spouse besides adultery. I know both men and women who are in love with their career. They're in love with their job. They're in love with their bodies. They're in love with their hobbies. All of those things become like a mistress. They lose sight of keeping the main thing, the main thing. And I'm not saying there's, there's, there's anything wrong with being deeply committed to your profession, or building a strong and a healthy body or enjoying a hobby of some kind. But when those things start to receive your greatest level of commitment and your faithfulness over the main thing, this is where the breakdown starts to occur because it eliminates time to serve and to meet the needs of your family, making sure that those most important relationships that you have are healthy and are secure there must always be a proper balance in there. As an example, there is a charge that is found in the word of God to us men to provide for our families. It's found in 1 Timothy 5, 8. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Another translation says he is worse than an infidel. This is an important charge to to fathers, but it applies to any working spouse. I have seen people who have taken this charge to a completely unhealthy level. What began as a healthy pursuit of of providing more for their family than perhaps was provided for them when they were a child by providing for their family's needs, like like food, like transportation, like a, a roof over their head, well, it became so much more than that. Now it's become a charge for a bigger house and a fancier car and all the right toys and fashions and things and stuff. And it is, re- and, and it has resulted for some by going far beyond that God ordained responsibility pr- to provide by losing sight of the main thing, the family. Over time, the pursuit of providing for more than just their needs became the main thing. And many people continue excuse me, to justify that unhealthy pursuit based upon that charge I just read found in the scriptures. But in doing so, what they have done, they have sacrificed precious time and greater levels of intimacy with their family. And one day... Sadly, they will wake up and realize that they were, yes, a great provider, but they missed out on the most important thing of all, the main thing. They don't have that deep and warm and loving kind of relationship with, that they want to have with their wife and with their children. And, and every mom and dad certainly works hard. And they certainly are wonderful at trying to be a provider, but they must not lose sight that that's not the main thing. They've got to continue to engage their family, the family that the Lord has entrusted with them with. So a faithful leader refuses to buy into the world's system and the world's monetary thoughts, like you've always gotta be expanding your business. You've always gotta get into the latest money-making trends. You've always got to diversify. Let me tell you the truth. No, you don't. You can if you want, but you don't have to. Just because the world tells you you should do something doesn't necessarily mean you should do it. You need to ask yourself, is that conventional wisdom or is that godly wisdom that I'm listening to? Have you ever stopped to think that when God called you to do something, to do what you were doing, that if you truly kept the main thing, the main thing, the results of blessing and prosperity might far exceed anything that you could ever manufacture on your own. That's the way that God works through our faithfulness. Faithfulness is proven by choosing a lifestyle that provides for time with the family, that provides for time for the ministry. And again, I'm talking here about meeting other people's needs because remember, we are all ministers. We are all leaders and family and ministry do go together, but your greatest ministry is your family. Speaking of ministry, it's interesting, there are many people in the church who have a background and qualifications to be strong and faithful leaders in the church, but they're not leaders at the church. Why is that? Because they're too busy. They're too busy pursuing all these other things other than the main thing. They are spread so thin and it makes them spotty in their attendance and in, and in their involvement, and they're not leading. And the Bible believes, and, and I think makes very clear that that's unfaithfulness. When God has gifted you with leadership abilities, you need to be faithful to that. So we must, we must all find out what the main thing is, what it is that God wants from us, and of course top on that list, is serving him with all that you are. And we need to find out what those other things are through his word. And then we must be faithful to them. Here's the third characteristic of a faithful leader. They walk with integrity before an unbelieving world. In other words, another mark of faithfulness is what kind of testimony do you have with unbelievers? Not what do believers think about you, but what do unbelievers think about you? It's interesting how the Bible teaches that a pastor must live life above reproach in the community. He is to have a good reputation, not just with believers, but with unbelievers as well. Do you know why? Because we have seen what happens when somebody in the ministry has a bad reputation. It's spread out all over the community, and it does nothing to help the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the best example of a good reputation that I can think of when I go through the scriptures is Daniel. In Daniel chapter six, we see a story here that unfolds of a bunch of unbelievers and peers of Daniel. He had been appointed to a satrap, which is, which is the word that they use for governor. And the other governors were very jealous of Daniel's appointment because he was a Jew. In Daniel 6.4, in the Living Bible, it says they were jealous and began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his affairs so that they could complain to the king about him, but they couldn't find anything to criticize. He was faithful and honest and made no mistakes. How would you like to have that kind of a reputation in the workplace? They couldn't find anything about Daniel that they could criticize him for. This guy had no blemishes. He, he lived a spotless kind of life. He, he maintained a blameless testimony. That is a practical example of faithfulness. God says, when I look at your faithfulness, I'm not gonna look at your verbal testimony, but I'm going to look at, do you do your best at work? Are you on time? Are you responsible with the things that I entrust you with? Are you true to your commitments? Can you be counted on? Do you finish the things that you start? I don't know if any of you have ever had any responsibility for hiring people or not, but when you hire somebody, the main thing that you look for is faithfulness. Are they going to be loyal? Can you trust them with responsibility? Or does their history show that they jump from one opportunity to another? So we must ask ourselves Am I faithful to the little things at work? The Bible tells us that this is very, very important. In Luke chapter 16, you will find the parable of the shrewd manager. And Jesus spoke these words in Luke 16:10. He who is faithful in what is least, is faithful also in much. And he is who, who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. We see the same principle regarding faithfulness in Matthew 25 in the parable of the three servants. They were all given silver by their master when he went away on a trip. Two servants were faithful. They showed a substantial increase from what was given to them. And yet one of the servants buried that money into the ground. He simply kept it it safe, didn't want to lose any of it. And this infuriated his master. But here's the response to the faithful servant in Matthew 25, 21. Servants, faithful servants. His Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. As professing Christians, we must do what we do well, and we must do what we do with integrity because it is our greatest testimony to an unsaved world. Nothing is more detrimental to how believers view you and I than when we are unfaithful, when we desire greater responsibilities and promotions and raises when we aren't even faithful doing the things that we do now well. That's the way that the world operates. And we all know that we are called to a much higher standard in Christ Jesus. So living with integrity before an unbelieving world, it it entails performing your duties well and with excellence, making every task important and giving it your highest or your utmost effort. Because according to the scripture, you might as well forget about a promotion or a raise or or more responsibility if you are not faithful with that that you already have. When you are faithful with the little things, God gives you greater responsibilities and you will grow. I think what this verse is saying is that Christians should have the reputation of being the most dependable people in the workplace. Why? because everybody else is so unreliable. And we should likewise be dependable people in whatever it is that we are doing, whether it's in working or whether it's in serving. Here's the fourth characteristic of a faithful Christian leader. They are true to their word. In Proverbs 25, 14, it says, "'Like clouds and wind without rain "'is a man who boasts gifts never given.'" He's saying, be careful, about what you promise. We all know people who overpromise and they underperform. And when God evaluates our faithfulness, he's gonna look at all the promises we have made. And I think that that ought to put put us in holy terror sometimes because we do make a lot of promises. How many times have we said, I'll get back to you? Or I'll do it later. Or I promise I'll return it to you as soon as I'm through with it. Or I'll pray for you or the checks in the mail, those kinds of things. In moments of weakness, parents often will make promises to their kids just to get them off their back. But sadly, that can be fatal. Many times promises are made that consciously don't even register into the mind and the heart of the parent. But children have memories like elephants. They never forget the promises that you make. In Proverbs 20:25 20, it says it is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider his vow. The Bible says is saying here that faithfulness is a matter of if you say it, you will do it. You will show up just like you said you would do. You will take your commitment that you made with all seriousness. You will keep your promises. Did you know that the number one cause for resentment is unfulfilled promises? In Psalm 15, four, it it tells us about faithful followers of Lord when it says, and they keep their promises even when it hurts. And then it goes on to say in verse five, such people will stand firm forever. Have you ever made a promise and then thought to yourself, I really don't want to do this but you did it anyway? Well, God says that counts. That's faithfulness. The wrong thing to do is to make that commitment, and decide you didn't want to do it and just not show up. God looks for the times when, when, when we've stated something and then we've actually followed through with it and got it done. So we must ask ourselves, what promises have I made that need to be kept? Promises to spend more time with my kids, or with my spouse, promise to take them on that vacation I promised them for, promise to fix that leaky faucet, promises to serve at my church, whatever it is. And by the way, when you are faithful, you don't have to say things like, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. (laughs) Or you don't need to swear on a stack of Bibles because people have just come to know that you are going to do what you say you are going to do. In James chapter five, verse 12, it says, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no. For whatever is more than these cometh of evil. A Christian ought to be able to simply say, yes, I'll do it, or no, I can't, or I won't. And if you are a person who somehow can't say no, you gotta be careful because you will make commitments that you just cannot keep. There are people who so desperately want to serve and they they want to help and they're moved by the needs that they see. But unfortunately, they overcommit. They try to get their hands on so many things that they can't do any of them very well. And usually rather than not do it well, sometimes they just decide not to show up and then they let someone down. So a faithful Christian leader finishes what they start. Even if what you envisioned your commitment was going to be, isn't what you expected. And and you finish up your commitment anyway. And then when the time comes for you to recommit, you simply say, you know, I'm sorry, I just can't commit to doing that any longer. But you don't bail in the middle of your commitment. You finish what you started. Because that lacks integrity. And it affects one's reputation. And you don't wanna be considered a person who isn't true to your word. When I was the HR director at Phoenix First Assembly, most of the time when we were advertising for a position at that really, really big church, it was people from our church who applied for those positions. So whenever I hired somebody, I would always speak with the leader over the ministry that these people were involved with. And I would ask questions about their attitude, I would ask if they were cooperative. Were they a team player? Could they, in that leader's opinion, make a difference? But the number one question that I would always ask is, are they faithful? And if that ministry leader hesitated in asking that question, or if they ever answered no to that question, the truth is I never hired that individual. Because I have always felt like a person who wasn't true to their commitments while serving in ministry wouldn't be true to their commitments while working and getting paid for ministry either. Because I believe that the two go hand in hand. And I believe that it becomes a pattern in a person's life. The Good News translation of Psalm 15.4 talks about honor to those who obey the Lord. It says, they always do what they promise, no matter how much it may cost. If you wanna be a faithful Christian leader, The key is to be a man or woman of your word. The fifth and the last characteristic I want to cover this morning is of a a faithful leader is they develop and they use their spiritual gifts. There's a tremendous emphasis on this in the Bible, using the gifts and the talents that God has blessed you with. He's given to you spiritual gifts. He has given to you natural abilities. He's also giving you basic heart motivation. And here's the truth we never pay much attention to. God has made an investment in your and my life, and I do believe he expects a return on that investment. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Notice it says you should use your gifts to serve others. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the highest form of faithful Christian leadership. The truth is, if you're not using the gifts that God has given you, people are getting cheated. Perhaps you think your gift or gifts fall short of the spectacular. Well, let me just say to you that every spiritual gift, in my opinion, is spectacular. And furthermore, just because you think your gift or just because you think maybe you can't do the spectacular, it doesn't excuse you away from doing nothing. Faithfulness is doing what you do and doing it well with what you have. Listen, I can't sing a song like Scott or Liz or Jeff can, but maybe someday in heaven, God will give me a voice like Andrea Bocelli to sing out loud and boldly. Wouldn't that be great? We're going to have a solo by Pastor David Blythe. And I just belled out the most beautiful Ave Maria you've ever heard in your life. But there are other things I can do. And I did them long before I became a pastor. See, God wants us to develop and he wants us to utilize our gifts. And I think a lot of people in the church should be very frightened by that verse in 1 Peter because many are just sitting in the bleachers sitting in the pews, bench warmers. One day we are all going to have to stand before a holy God and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? God says that we are to faithfully administer, use and develop those things that he has given us. I realize many of you serve, and I and I'm thankful for that. And you are faithful. You don't need that scripture. Keep doing what you're doing. Develop those gifts that God has given you. Administer them and be faithful in doing that. And you will receive blessing. You already are receiving blessing for doing such. But there are others who really need to take this verse to heart today. You don't understand the blessings that you are missing out of by not following 1 Peter 4.10. It's the way that God's kingdom works. He blesses you when you are faithful in, in service to his kingdom, and you simply cannot afford to refuse to, develop, or to, refuse, to continue to refuse to develop your spiritual gifts. Well, that was five characteristics of a faithful Christian leader but certainly it is not an exhaustive list. And yet each one is vitally important as we prove our faithfulness, because it is through your faithfulness that you receive God's blessings. So whatever you apply your leadership and your talents and your skill towards, when you stay faithful to it, when you see it through, you create something That is always a blessing to others, but through your faithfulness, it is a blessing to you because God blesses you. And I truly hope that you desire the blessings of God upon your life because his blessings are obviously the most precious of all. Scott, will you and the worship team come forward and help me to work to the end of our service here? When I began this message, I talked briefly about Zerubbabel, and I told you that I'd get back to him at the end of this message. Well, when I read about Zerubbabel, I am deeply moved by his story because God had placed a curse upon his grandfather, the once wicked king of Judah. But it wasn't just a curse on the king himself. It was a curse on his entire family and his future generations. But in spite of this, Zerubbabel, his grandson, he served the Lord, he was faithful. And in his faithfulness, he took on a task that few would. And he he exhibited his faithful leadership in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. He worked through all the negativity, all the doubts, all of the negative comments and complaining that he was hearing from the people. And yet God saw his faithfulness. And because of it, God lifted the curse that was placed upon him and his family. And it was another example of God's amazing grace in action. And through his faithfulness to God, we see Zerubbabel in the lineage Jesus Christ. He is in the bloodline of our Lord and Savior. What an honor, what a blessing for a man who had faithfully performed his duties that he was asked to perform within the giftings, I might add, that he possessed. And here's the point I want to make to you, my church family, this morning. God wants you to be faithful in all things not just here when we're here, but outside of this place. He wants you to be faithful to your mission in life. He wants you to be faithful to your family, to this church, to your employer, to this community. And I guess what I'm asking you as your pastor this morning is for you to open your mind and your heart and your spirit to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today. Because what he is saying is that he wants us all to be faithful soldiers in God's army. Because he blesses our faithfulness, ladies and gentlemen. I also wanna remind you, and I've said it a couple times, that we are called to a higher standard. We are expected more than any other people walking the face of this planet to be faithful in all the things that we do. So let's own this truth and let's be faithful, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because God wouldn't have us do it or be any other way. Most importantly, be faithful in your relationship with Jesus. That's gotta be number one, but also be faithful in the little things. Be faithful when no one is watching. Be faithful and use the spiritual gifts that God has blessed you with. You see, God wants your heart because he knows when he has it that every other little detail, every other part of your life will fall into place. And that's when you become a fully functioning Christ follower. And that's when you begin to set the standard for all those around you and all those little details of life. And herein lies the greatest truth of this message today. We have the embodiment of extreme faithfulness exhibited in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When the incarnate Jesus came to this earth to fulfill his mission, he knew what he would be facing, the pain, the torture, the beatings, the crucifixion. He even knew about his ultimate death on the cross. But all of that needed to take place in order for God to offer salvation to a sinful world that needed to be set free. And through all of that, all of that knowledge, and you can imagine, because remember, he was every bit man as he was God. You could just imagine the strain in the back of your mind knowing what was coming. And yet he stayed faithful to that mission. He could have called legions of angels to come and deliver him, but he stayed faithful and he endured a horrific death. And I am thankful that he did because when he resurrected, he granted to all of us the ability to produce faithfulness in all that we do as well. No one has ever endured what Jesus endured for you and I. And his example is at the very pinnacle of the faithfulness scale and faithfulness examples. And so today, we are going to remember Christ's faithfulness by participating in Holy Communion together. And I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward so that we can first pass out the communion emblems. Jesus commanded that we always remember what exactly he accomplished on the cross on our behalf. And so together we are gonna be faithful in following his command. Communion is a time when we collectively, but I think even more importantly, privately in our hearts, remember that sacrifice. And it's when we acknowledge and when we, we give thanks for his blood atoning for our sin and for providing a way for us to be reconciled with our Heavenly Father. I've said this before, but the story of the cross for us as Christians cannot just be some kind of a repetitive story that talks about a pathway of salvation through Christ Jesus, but for us personally, it must always be a personal story of of a changed life because of a uh, experience that we have had with Jesus. It has become for each one of us the most important moment of our life that we don't just remember but it's got to be something that we just can never ever forget. Because at that moment we were redeemed. Jesus, he took away our sin and he took away our, our, our shame and he didn't just give us life but he gave us an abundant life and he promised us eternal life in the presence of God. What a blessing, and it is a gift that each one of us should treasure as we remember it like we are doing today. Now, before we take communion, as you know, the Word of God warns us about not doing this in what the Bible says, an unworthy manner. It's found in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven 27 through 29. It's a very important scripture. Those scriptures make very, very clear that before any of us participate in communion, we must all examine ourselves before the Lord. We must take the time to make sure that we are not harboring unforgiveness and bitterness towards another. We must make sure that we're not carrying around unconfessed sin in our heart. If so, we need to confess it. We need to make sure that we are not living our lives running contrary to the truth that has been revealed to us in our relationship With the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you do, if there is anything in your life that would bring judgment upon yourself, it is important that we clear that up, that we all go to the Lord and we take care of it first in order to make sure that none of us are guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And if you are here today and you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do so at this moment. Communion is a time for believers but you can participate in communion immediately after you receive Jesus as Lord. The Bible tells us in Romans 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It goes on to say, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In a moment, we're going to have a time of of quiet prayer. All you're going to hear is the keyboard playing softly behind me like it is right now. It's a time for each one of us to pray in our own way, in our own words, in our own time. And if you don't know Jesus this morning during this prayer time, tell him you believe that he is the Son of God. That's the confession and the believing part. He's the only way to God the Father. Acknowledge that he carried your sin to the cross And through his shed blood, it is the atoning agent that wipes away your sin. Tell him you believe that he died in your place, but he rose again three days later with resurrection power. And then you confess and you repent of your sin. And the Bible says that he is faithful to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And it says that you will become a new creation. And when you do this, you then understand what Jesus' sacrifice was all about because you've just experienced it. And therefore you can participate in communion in a worthy manner because you have just become a recipient of his amazing grace. And for those here today who are already in a redemptive relationship with Christ, you also must examine your heart. And we must confess our sin as well as we examine our hearts, in light of this very sacred moment. So let's all go to him for a time of silent prayer and reflection. Father, you've heard our words. Most importantly, you have read our hearts. And we want to thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you for the forgiveness of sin, for the promise of eternal life in God's presence. We commit and recommit our hearts and lives to you this day i bless these communion emblems we are about to receive and i pray it in jesus name amen in luke's gospel chapter 16 or excuse me chapter 26 verse 15 jesus was having his last supper the passover meal with his disciples this is what he said he said i have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19 says, and he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, And gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So, as you eat of this bread this morning, I want you all to be reminded of the bruised and battered body of our Savior, Jesus, beaten beyond recognition. And I want you to remember what the scriptures tell us that He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities, but by His stripes we are healed you may eat the bread. Verse 20 says, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And as you drink of this cup this morning, I want you to be reminded of the precious blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb that was poured out for you to atone for your sin and to set you free. You may drink the cup. Would you stand as we sing together?
1: And know the blood of Jesus.
0: Bow your heads with me, please. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that he stayed faithful to his mission. He did not let anything detour, deter him, excuse me from what you wanted him to accomplish. And we thank you for his faithfulness. And Father, I pray that it would be the desire of every man and woman in this place, to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, faithful in the way that we live our life, faithful in the little things, faithful on the job, faithful with our families, faithful in our, in our finances, in, in every literally every aspect, Father, I pray that we prove ourselves to be faithful. That when we say we'll do something, we will be true to our word. Guess what I'm asking, Lord, is that we would truly be set apart from the rest of the world, and people would look at us and know that we are believers, if nothing else, based upon our faithfulness. It's what you desire from us, it's what you want. And Father, if that's what you want, then that's what I want in my life. So I pray that you would help all of us to be faithful in all of our dealings, faithful in the responsibilities that you have given us. Father, we thank you for this day and for your presence here in this place. Thank you for my church family. Thank you that we have a place where we can come and worship you every Sunday. And I thank you for the things that you're doing in our hearts and in our lives and in our community. And I pray as we go our separate ways today, Lord, that your spirit would go with us, guiding and directing our steps, the places we go and the things that we do, the conversations that we have. Those conversations would be meant to build people up and not tear them down. My prayer is that we would shine like bright lights in a very dark world, and that brightness is the love of Christ coming through. Pray that we are so bright, Lord, that people would recognize it and would come to us and say, what is different about you? And you open that door for us to share goodness with them. But Lord, as always, I pray for a divine appointment for each one of us this week, as someone will cross our path and we'll be able to tell them of the goodness of God. And Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to be faithful to that walking through that door and doing what you've asked us to do. And Lord, between now and next time we gather together again, I also pray your protection and your safety over us. Keep us safe from sickness or illness. Keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us so that we can join back together again as a church family and worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we go our separate ways today, Lord, I pray that we would go in love, that we would love even those who are hard to love, and that we would be reminded that that's the way that you love, and so we must do as well. So as we leave here today, Father, let us go in peace. Let us strengthen our brothers, and let us be faithful to the things that you've called us to do. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being here.